Hey, Mike. Hi, Caleb. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing uh, reasonably well. Reasonably okay. Middle That's of the good. road. Yeah. That's good. Uh, you know, can't complain. What uh, What are you drinking tonight? Uh, so I actually did not have anything prepared ahead of time, so I went with the old standby. Uh, made a Manhattan. Uh, the house Manhattan. Uh, the house. Well, I did not make a house Manhattan uh, because I, I didn't have the right vermouth. Uh, and then I decided I was going to live a little bit on the edge and I wanted to make a kind of smoky Manhattan. Mm-hmm. So I split the rye with, well, not quite split, but I held back some of the rye and uh, used a little Johnny Walker Black uh, that I had oh. sitting here. So it's a, not a super smoky scotch, but it's got a little bit of smoke to it. And uh, I really like how it turned out. I, uh, it might be something I iterate on. Uh, to try and get like a kind of a, a smoky Manhattan. It'll, I'll need to iterate on the name as well. Um, right. <laughs> Manhattan is on fire or, you know, burn, burning Manhattan. I don't know. Well, I'll, I'll take this offline and, and see if I can come up with something better. How about you? What are you drinking? I am drinking one of the favorite drinks from uh, one of our guilty pleasure shows of the pandemic, uh, Below Deck, um, an espresso martini. Which is, in my mind, not a martini, but uh, does have espresso, does have Kahlua, and does have vodka. And if listeners have not tried an espresso martini, it is a very delicious drink. I can say that. So it is not uh, a great food cocktail. I mean, it's cocktail. not a martini. It's not a martini. It's not a food cocktail. But as a standalone beverage, you know, at night when you're watching a TV show or uh, a movie, it's it's wonderful. So I, I thought... I'm, drank a fair number of these during the pandemic and uh, thought I would uh, bring it to the show. I don't think I've ever had an espresso martini. Maybe we could check the spreadsheet, but... Um, I have not heard of this, and, and I would have remembered because I have a visceral reaction to people who claim drink that them. martinis have vodka in them. A martini yeah. has gin in it. You can have a mixed well, drink that, that has vodka. <laughs> you can have a martini that has gin or that has vodka. I'm with you on that. I mean, I, I prefer my Bombay Sapphire, my Tank 10... I've got a bunch of gins. You know, you've given me gins as gifts, so I'm a big fan of, of gin as the uh, spirit, and that is the only official cocktail for uh, <laughs> a martini, uh, but uh, alcohol spirit for a martini. But, um, you know, I, you can't you can't call this anything else except for an espresso martini because that's just what it's called. But um, <laughs> Fair enough. And, you know, it's, it's the pandemic. We're still living through this weird time, and, you know, we, we should all be a little more gracious. A little more tolerant. Yes, yeah. a little more grace. So, so, so I'm yes, so I'm I'm drinking that. It's quite good. But uh, we have like our Christmas episode essentially because this is a quarterly earnings episode. So I, I can I can hear the excitement in your voice. I am pumped. I can't wait. This is a pretty crazy quarter. So we're talking about Tesla's Q4 2021. Uh, we are now sitting here in 2022, um, but this is for Q4, and we'll talk a little bit about the entire year of 2021. And um, yeah, look, why don't we just jump in with some of the top line numbers? We'll go yeah, through the numbers and then go through the the earnings call and uh, give our give our perspectives. Sounds good. Let's let's see what Santa brought you. All right. So total, I think I think it's like what is Tesla's main business? Selling vehicles. So we're going to start with vehicle production. Um, what is their max potential? So total vehicle production for the quarter of Q4 2021 was 305,840 vehicles. This is up 70% year on year. Now, now 70%. I'm, I'm not a fancy Wall Street analyst. Can you tell me, is that a good uh, rate of change? 
You don't need to be a fancy analyst to know that 70% year-on-year growth for a company that is already nearly a trillion-dollar company is insanity. Like, insanity. Because I remember when we started this podcast, uh, people didn't even think the Model 3 was going to, like, help in any meaningful way or that they would be able to produce the Model 3, that it was a joke, that it was the BlackBerry iPhone kind of challenge where people didn't even think it was real. It was going to be Duke Nukem. It was instantly vaporware, right? And and then they were struggling. Remember how many episodes we had where we just had to try and tell people, listen, don't worry about uh, production. You know, they're trying to get to 1,000 a week. They're trying to get to 2,000 a week. And those were big, big, big numbers to try and hit. And there were all those concerns about Tesla going out of business quarter after quarter after quarter. We had to explain how uh, investment in capital expenditures was, you know, investing in future growth and that this would eventually pay off. And now we sit here today uh, in 2022, looking back on 2021's uh, Q4, and they made 305,000 vehicles in a 90-day period uh, with just two factories. Uh, I mean, it's it in some ways, it is pretty mind-boggling to see 70% year-on-year growth for a company that is at this scale it's it is it is pretty nuts especially because they didn't even add any new factories like this isn't inorganic growth they didn't acquire some company they didn't jack up their prices massively they didn't introduce a new vehicle uh this is just increasing capacity at the two factories they already have and this is in light of I don't know if you've heard, Mike, but there's a chip shortage, and there's also a massive <laughs> supply chain. And uh, are there a lot of chips used in a Tesla? Yeah, there are. There are quite a lot, I think, and uh, and so you know, and also a massive labor shortage in the U.S. So, super high level, three hundred five thousand eight hundred forty vehicles. When I saw that number, I was like, "Oh my goodness, this is tremendous!" And we saw that number early, ahead of the actual earnings release, but uh, super, super impressive. Um, and we'll, we'll talk about sort of how they achieve that and what this portends for the future. Um, but for the entire 2021, this caps off 930,000 vehicles produced for all of 2021, which again, if you time machine back to when we started the podcast, I don't think you would have found any analyst who would have expected that by the end of 2021, Tesla would legitimately have made just shy of a million vehicles. Uh, yeah, I don't even I wonder, know if you would have believed that. No, it'd be interesting to, to go back to that, uh, whatever, what is it, April 2017? When when did we start this? 2018? Yeah, I think so. 2017. Anyways, whenever that was, when you were standing in line, uh, right after you were standing in line in Palo Alto yeah. to, to reserve your Model 3, it, was, it would be interesting to see how many vehicles total Tesla had made to that point, cumulative. I, I bet it's like a lot less than 930,000. Yeah, I think cumulatively they were, they were probably at around 100,000 year run rate. Um, and that had only happened once they had really scaled up Model X. So yeah, I think cumulatively they, I mean, no no math on the podcast, but it. I think it was less. I, I think it definitely was <laughs> and, less. You know, cor- correlation is, isn't causation. We all, we all know that. But I mean, it can't be a coincidence that like they've ramped up and been this successful during the run of our podcast. I mean, well, yeah. And the I don't want to take too much credit, but the other thing is, uh, you know, now that I have a Model Y, uh, Model Y is also now the most popular of their vehicles. So, uh, again, no causation, correlation, confusion, but um, 
I have switched from a Model 3 to a Model Y, and, and that is now their most popular vehicle. So there's just um, yeah, it's 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 a lot to be coincidence. I, I don't it's know. just too much. Yeah. Um, the vehicle production run rate, uh, which is basically you take the uh, last quarter and you multiply it by four to get what the run rate is, and that is 1.22 million vehicles per year. So if they were just as good as they were in Q4 in terms of production, no improvement, no change to the upside, no new factories, no new capacity, they would produce 1.22 million vehicles. So that also is incredibly impressive because that's over 30% growth from their 2021 production rate um, with basically not assuming any improvement. Uh, So I think, you know, what they talked about on the call, which we'll get to, they assume around 50% growth uh, in vehicle deliveries this year. And, you know, with the run rates already 30% improved over last year, that seems very doable. Uh, And so to grow 50% year on year in terms of vehicle deliveries, again, uh, massive scale, very impressive, and um, impressive yeah, just, impressive demand too, right? Like it's as right, they're, yeah. as they're ramping up all of this production, it's not like they're just making a bunch of things that no one wants, and they're all just sitting in the warehouse somewhere. Like these are all being sold. No, total. I mean, their days of global inventory is down to four. They have four days of inventory at any moment in time during the last quarter. Four days, that and that's down sixty five percent year on year. Wow, that, that is that is like. I'm, I think the only like comparable would be the iPhone within the month that it initially launches is sort of at that level of low inventory. Almost every other business, I mean, I think they really would like to keep ten to twenty days of inventory, uh, if they you know to, to be able to have some capacity uh, to absorb demand increases. Four days is ridiculously low, and obviously too low because if you go to try and buy a Tesla anywhere in the U.S. right now. Uh, you're going to be delayed for many, many months. And so, yeah, to your point, demand is currently not the problem still. And I don't think through our entire run of the podcast thus far, demand has ever been an issue. Like, they've never had to goose demand. No. And this is only with four vehicles, right? This is with the Model Y, the Model 3, the Model X, and the Model S. Four vehicles, and they still are at this level of demand and still can confidently forecast 50% growth. So, and super still, still with no advertising. Like I feel like yeah. once, you might want to actually start selling once you see the Elon show up on a Super Bowl ad. That that would probably be a harbinger of bad things to come, but right now, yeah, it's it's impressive. Well, and the other thing too this year is if you look back at what actually happened through the quarters, Q1, there were zero Model S and X produced. Q2 there was only 2300. Q3, they're only 8,900, and Q4 is when they, when they started to get to like a more reasonable run rate of uh, 13,000, which is still below what their previous, um, you know, for the past few years kind of run rate was uh, for Model S and X because of the refresh um, with the, the full reboot of sort of the plaid Model S and X and the new yoke and the new interior. So Model S and X really, you know, dampened them again by... 50,000 or so vehicles potentially. Um, but Model 3 and Y, just with the two factories, like Shanghai really came into its own this year, going from, you know, uh, starting the year Q1 at 180,000 3 and Ys to exiting at around 300,000 with the same factories, um, really starting to crank it out. And, you know, we went to the model, uh, to, the, to the Fremont factory, and it looked packed years ago. 
yeah. they're still able to crank out more. I mean, this is very, very impressive and bodes well for uh, the kind of efficiency improvements that Tesla is making uh, above and beyond just adding more capacity, which is the way that, you know, more companies at scale kind of think about things. It's like, well, everyone's already working as hard as they can. The factory is already working as hard as they can. We just have to add more. Tesla continues to challenge that by saying, no, there's still more throughput to get in our current square footage. And, and that's super impressive. I actually haven't been by Fremont in quite a while now. Do they still have the tent out front? Or do they, not, are, they are they fully indoors with their manufacturing? I'm not sure. I haven't been by Fremont in a while either. I, I have exited California as a resident um, in, in the recent past months. So I'm not sure. I haven't actually seen it. So yeah. if any of our listeners uh, have been by, they should uh, send us a tweet uh, if the tents are still being used um, yeah, go, either go in the front a, or the back. Go be a spy car and driver spar, spy photographer. <laughs> yes. Get us, get a, get us get a some long photos. lens and, and yeah, get a, get a photo of the factory. We'd, we'd love to know. So that that's the high-level vehicles, right? So now let's talk about the dollars and cents that came as a result of that uh, vehicle production and uh, and sales. So, um, oh, one more, sorry, I have to back up. One thing I wanted to say, <laughs> you're though, just, was... You're so excited. <laughs> oh, I, I, I forgot, you know, they produced all these vehicles, but how many did they sell? So they produced 305,000, uh, plus or minus, and they delivered 308,000 in the quarter. That, so they delivered... Weird. They delivered out of inventory just about 3,000 vehicles. So they drained their inventory even a little bit more uh, in Q4. So wow. they, they didn't even build up their inventory, which generally, if you're increasing your sales, you want to start to build up your inventories a little bit. Uh, they, they decreased their inventory. So, so that number was up 71% year on year. So yeah, they, they didn't even make as many vehicles as they sold because they sold some of their inventory. So again, just bonkers level of uh, of sales here. So 308,650 vehicles, uh, plus their energy business, plus their uh, uh, basically used car sales and service yielded top line revenue of $17.7 billion for the quarter, up 65% year on year. That seems like a pretty good increase. That's a very big increase on a very large number. I mean, I mean, I, I would appreciate 17, if my salary went up sixty-five percent year on year. That would be pretty sweet. Yeah, from a base of uh, you know of fourteen billion or so, and then getting to seventeen. I mean, these the, it's hard. It's hard to really fathom how large of a uh, increase that is, given how many billions of dollars that equates to. Right, in software companies growing 60 to 100% a year when you're $10 million ARR or $50 million ARR. Okay, impressive, very impressive. Uh, if you're a billion or $2 billion a year, it's very rare to grow above 50% uh, at, at like a 2 or $3 billion a year run rate. To be at a $17 billion run rate and to have grown 60%, that is just, it, it's, it's really, really, really incredible. And to your point, to have no advertising yeah. and to have done that during the pandemic, like the tail end of the pandemic, when other car makers had declines in revenue in the same period, again, just massive, massive uh, kudos to Tesla and the team for, for pulling this off. Yeah, they're kind of uh, really sticking it to the uh, the law of big numbers, right? Or the, the law yeah, of large numbers. Yeah, because... 
because that 17 billion, 17.7 billion is only for the quarter. When you annualize that run rate, it's $71 billion. There are not many software companies that are at $71 billion of run rate. And they're certainly not growing at 65% a year. And so and, and this and Tesla still is very small in the in the scheme of the automotive world. And I think this is what when we started the podcast, we were so excited about is if Tesla is successful in achieving their mission, they will be able to generate massive amounts of revenue, but also do it very profitably because eventually they will reach a point where the cost structure of an electric vehicle starts to actually outpace the cost structure of an internal combustion engine. And I think this quarter really starts to make that the case. So gross margin, $4.8 billion. Uh, so that's revenue minus costs for the vehicles. Uh, actually, all up, this was this was total gross margin, not just automotive, but $4.8 billion gross margin. That was up 135% year on year. So their revenue went up by 65%, but their gross margin went up by 135%. That means for every dollar of revenue, they are actually spending less they're making on more the cost. Money. <laughs> they're making more money yes, per unit. Yes, they're making more per, per unit. And this is in light of all the chip shortages and, and all the extra costs that went into making these vehicles and expediting them. So 135% improvement year over year on the gross margin. Their costs are not getting higher per vehicle. They're decreasing. Uh, their gap gross margin was 27% in the automotive world. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Their OPEX uh, was $2.2 billion, so the costs to basically run the business that do not directly get attributed to the vehicles, but that was only up 50% per year. So they're not scaling operating expenses at the same rate as revenue growth, which is good to see, which means that they're going to continue to have uh, expanding margin over time. 14.7% operating margin. And then the gap net income, gap, the gold standard, no shenanigans, <laughs> all stock-based compensation included, net income of $2.3 billion for the quarter, up a gargantuan 760% year on year. Wow. I, I mean, it's just, how, how do you... You, there's nothing to say about that. I mean, 760% year on year. And and when you look into the numbers, and we did, there are really no shenanigans here. And there's also massive headwinds where they had to pay millions and mil, tens of millions of dollars in estimated stock-based compensation for Elon's massive package that is more probable. They had to pay a massive amount of money in payroll taxes to the uh, federal government and to California because of the 2012 Elon Musk package uh, stock options that were exercised. <laughs> and they also had to pay a massive amount of money in extra expedite fees. And they also paid some more for warranty expense. So they had a lot of one-time charges this quarter um, that would depress this number. Uh, and so to still be up 760% year on year, it's it's just so, it, it's, it kind of boggles the mind at how impressive this is. <laughs> And we are people who know that this is what would happen if they were able to get that top line number up, that those fixed costs of all their software engineers and all their hardware engineers and the fixed costs of the real estate and the factories eventually start to hit some scale and they start to tip 
this is really the first quarter where we see that massive tipping uh, result in these crazy year-on-year improvements uh, in meaningful things like net income, which goes directly <laughs> to shareholders. Yeah, the ball is uh, rolling downhill now, which yeah. which actually, I mean, that that's a positive thing, but it usually downhill means bad. So I don't I don't know if that's the right metaphor, but uh, yeah. So so one question here, uh, just quickly about the the annual run rate where you're 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 like extrapolating from the current quarter yeah um does tesla have like strong seasonality like a lot of businesses q4 is larger than like the rest of the year put together so like is it fair to annualize from q4 or is tesla pretty static throughout the year yeah i mean q4 is typically one of the worst quarters because uh it's in the winter time for a lot of the um major domestic country or many of the developed countries um and so deliveries during christmas and the holidays are usually not that strong so the spring so, and summer are typically better okay so not a lot of people traditionally provide like evs under the christmas tree no no as much as lexus might want you to believe that that's what people are doing uh, that's more their advertising um, okay so even yeah. though even though the the annual run rate here is an eye-popping number it's actually not as crazy as it would seem for if you're more familiar with retail companies where, yeah, like it's, it's heavily weighted towards Q4. This is, this is a more legitimate number. So this is all the more impressive. Yep. 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 And for Tesla this year, the main constraint, which they talked about and we'll talk about more was that they believe they could grow even more than 50% this year. Was it not for the chip shortage and general logistic problems that are still plaguing the entire uh, durable goods segment. Um, Is Elon going to start his own chip company now? Chip X? Well, actually, actually, he mentioned that the fabrication, the fabs for these chips, uh, there's so many of these coming online uh, in the next year, year and a half, that as a, res- as a response to the massive demand for chips and the shortage, so many of these uh, companies like TSMC and, and Samsung and others are uh making massive investments in new fabs and so what will most likely happen is that they will overcorrect and there'll be a glut of uh, chip uh, manufacturing capacity and so by exiting 2023 this should be uh, pretty far behind us uh, from a manufacturing uh, capacity point of view and there'll actually be excess capacity for uh, semiconductors uh, by the end of 2023 going into 2024 so from tesla's viewpoint uh, and their sort of capacity they've already pre-ordered it's still going to be a bit of an issue but not nearly as uh as debilitating as it was in 2021 so that's very promising and also you know getting a little bit more color on the insight that uh, tesla knows that their suppliers are actually uh, building more capacity uh, bodes well for the entire industry and sub-industries right like it's been very difficult to get a uh washer and dryer to get a dishwasher and and many of these uh, <laughs> the graphics card graphics cards these these uh products are, are being limited because they just physically cannot get the chips to their manufacturing facilities and um it sounds like that's actually going to be alleviated um but that's not to say like tesla also last year spent a massive amount of time re-engineering their vehicles such that they could utilize a fewer chips uh you do more on the central processing system and also uh, just basically do more with software. And this goes back to many of the conversations we've had in the past where 
Tesla just has such an advantage by having a centralized uh, software and hardware team at Tesla, but also having only four vehicles where they can make changes on the fly as needed. And by having a sort of uh, general stack in the vehicle that is built around the idea that we're going to put more centralized computing power uh, in the vehicle and rely less on computing at the edge, right? Like instead of having windshield wipers that have a lot of logic in them uh, that cost more, we'll get the most basic windshield wipers and put the logic in the NVIDIA or the Intel or in the AMD uh, central processing unit that runs a lot of our subsystems and write software to build that functionality instead of waiting for the supplier to build that functionality in the actual uh, windshield wipers. And that's like a very simple example, but they've actually reduced the number of chips that are in every car. So the chip shortage actually was a blessing in disguise in the such that it actually reduces the amount of chips that they need, reducing the total cost of the vehicle, and also reducing the uh, likelihood that any particular vehicle or uh, you know, particular day's run is going to be held up because they don't have those chips. Um, and these chips that they were using are not necessarily built on like the best like seven nanometer or five nanometer that are in your uh, your smartphone. These are sometimes built on like forty or fifty nanometer, very very large process, very old technology uh, chips. And so Tesla is just totally doing away with those, and so reduces power, reduces cost, reduces complexity, reduces production time like all positive and <laughs> this is why like Ford and GM have had a really tough time this year is they can't do that like the both companies were met with the same challenge of not being able to get as many parts uh, and one company Tesla was able to figure out how to re-engineer all their vehicles their four to solve the problem and and not be as afflicted and GM and Ford had less output last year and were massively hampered to the point where they shut down their lines multiple times because they, they just didn't have the, the semiconductors. And so I think, again, this just reinforces that Tesla operates much more like a technology company, is a true technology company, and in things like chips was not as badly hurt. Now, also to be fair, Tesla did not cut their orders when the pandemic hit because they still knew they were going to grow. Many of the traditional automakers cut their orders because they thought the demand would fall off and that cutting of orders they now went to the bottom of the line when they reordered but tesla kept their capacity with their suppliers and so the fact that tesla was in a growth mode and aggressive growth mode and didn't cut their orders when the pandemic hit uh, also certainly did help them so just to be like very fair uh, (laughs) well it probably also helps that they've they've to that point grown to the point where they're a meaningful uh, purchaser from these companies too, where if they if they were yeah, still a lot smaller, then it would have been a lot easier to just you know write off their orders and fulfill the larger order for Ford or whatever. Absolutely, and and that's why I believe last quarter GM didn't make a single electric vehicle. They couldn't get the battery packs, and they also couldn't no get bolts? the chips. No bolts. We were, we were boltless. I didn't even realize boltless. Well, no bolts. So uh, it's it's tough out there. I mean, it, like. This past year has really caused even more divergence between the EV segment of Tesla's versus everyone else. Everyone else made no progress last year, and Tesla made uh, 65% year-on-year progress uh, from a revenue point of view. So, um, pretty tough. So, so that 
uh, net income, how's that flow through? We've got uh, $4.5 billion of net cash from operating activities. Uh, then you take away $1.8 billion that they spent on capital expenditures, so basically factories. Um, that was up 57% year on year, leading to that, a free... Sorry, is that, that's covering... Does that cover Shanghai and Texas, or were those... Yeah. Those were started before... No, and Brandenburg. All the work... I mean, it's not all of it, but uh, because they did start the, in 2020. Okay. And But this is just for the quarter. In the quarter, they spent $1.8 billion on capital oh, expenditures. Oh, in the quarter, quarter. All right, all right, all right. Yes. Yeah, which was also up 57% year on year, right? But that CapEx isn't directly helping right now. Uh, that's going to be for the future. Right. But even in light of $1.8 billion in CapEx, free cash flow of $2.7 billion. So plenty of cash for... Uh, that's up 50% or 49% year on year. Their cash and cash equivalents is at a total of $17.5 billion. That's down 9% year on year, but it's up sequentially quarter over quarter. So this past year, they have spent a lot of cash on building Giga Texas and Berlin Brandenburg. So those two factories are on the cusp of coming online. And yet... They still have $17.5 billion in cash, and they've retired uh, some of their highest interest debt. And so they have a total of $1.5 billion increase in the cash and cash equivalents uh, over Q3 to Q4. So, yeah, you know, bankruptcy is uh, not really in the cards anymore. <laughs> not, uh, I mean, that's not, not, not quite Apple-level cash pile, but that's pretty damn impressive. Yeah, seventeen billion, seventeen point five billion hanging around. I mean, remember when Tesla was like raising capital, like trying they they could use every dollar. Every dollar we were like they they need another dollar, they could spend it. Elon knows how to invest it. Right now they've got seventeen point five billion. And they have four days of inventory. It's not like it's sitting around in vehicles. It's not like that cash <laughs> is just in metal sitting around. This is like a cash converting machine right now. They put in a dollar and they get 15% profit on that instantly. I mean, it's very, very impressive. Um, and they and so it, they still haven't like fully reached potential because they still have those two factories sitting around. Yeah, so they, they have uh, those two factories that will be coming online, and then I guess it stands to reason that if the other automakers are already having trouble with their chip shortage and they're, they're running behind, they're probably prioritizing their... Uh, gasoline vehicles, right? So, like that seem it seems like all of this is going to, I guess, what I'm getting at is further set back uh, the EV efforts of the larger automakers. Yeah, I mean, Ford just came out and said that they need to continue to optimize the uh, profitability of their ICE vehicles to serve their long-term mission of the battery battery electric vehicles like right so they got to yes. juice the suvs right now to get their money exactly back, <laughs> they need that Tesla money more room to keep growing exactly and so when you only have a set number of vehicles you can sell you're going to sell your most profitable vehicles because right now if you've tried to buy a vehicle anytime recently it, most of our listeners have not been trying to buy a, a chevy tahoe or something or a ford f-150 but if you were you'd be paying sticker price or above sticker price which means that the automakers are going to produce only their most profitable vehicles because there's so much demand and there's so limited supply. They're going to do everything they can to, to, to juice those profits. But, but that's a temporary thing. And so while, yes, they did okay, even though their, their, uh, their production wasn't that strong this year, 
the traditional automakers, um, they didn't make much progress on their battery electric vehicles. And those vehicles still are not going to be that profitable just because they waited a year. Uh, as we've seen with Tesla, you actually have to produce them and get better at producing them and figure out how to drive down the cost. You can't just like show up and be like, oh, we're going to have 30% margins. Um, <laughs> it's just not possible. So I am, I mean, Ford, I think, believes they're going to do something like 150,000 electric vehicles in the next year and a half or so, but they target 650,000 uh, for the end of 2024. But they don't really have a clear path to that. So 150,000 is uh, is nothing close to 1.4 million. But Caleb, uh, I, I saw the ad on the Super Bowl where my, I can plug uh, my house into my Ford F-150 electric and, and everything just works well. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, they're also spending a lot of money on advertising, trying to talk about their battery, battery, battery electric vehicles, and yet not really available. I mean, you still can't buy one. So yeah, I, I don't think this meet, well, let's say this. There is no signs in Tesla's data that that is hurting them um, yet. So right. it well, may. And, and it seems like that if nothing else, they are currently, Tesla is accelerating their production, their profitability, and this is just giving them more, like the last thing you want to do with a competitor is give them more time when they're actually like improving and, and getting, getting better and better. So it's it, it seems to uh, work out well for Tesla here. Yeah, I don't. I can't think of, they did not mention competitors as a concern for 2023 at all in their earnings call. Um, and so it's a little strange that a company that's at a $70 billion run rate doesn't have any concerns about competitors right now. Um, <laughs> that's very unusual uh, I mean, they, in business. Yeah, and, and to be clear, they'll, they'll be there eventually. But Eventually, yes, but, yes. But, but Tesla that may end be, up being, a, they may be at massive, they may already be the largest automaker by the time that matters. Right, And, yeah. and that's, that's the thing is they are on a trajectory where in a few years they will outpace the cumulative sales of all their competitors and do it at four times the profit margin uh, and potentially greater if full self-driving actually comes to pass. So it it looks like from where we sit today, they are in the pole position to take over the entire automotive industry and and, and everyone else isn't quite aware that they're uh, they've been in the, the the pit row for a couple laps, and uh, the race is still going on. Yeah, well, or, or even if they are aware, like I'm sure the the CEOs of Ford and General Motors, they see these numbers, but they're just not in any position to. Do they can't anything do anything. Right? They can't yeah. do anything. Like their incentives are all structured towards giving Tesla more time. They literally have to keep producing the ICE vehicles because they have all the workers, all the yeah. tooling all the factories, and that's what their uh, delivery systems are built for. They are right. they do not have the demand. Like, if they had the demand for these other vehicles and the price points, they would be selling them, but they can't. And then if, even when they get the demand, they can't make the vehicles because they have way too many chips and they don't have those chips. It's like, if you can't even make the vehicle, there's no way you can sell it. Like, you are not close. <laughs> Uh, they did zero sales this past quarter of GM in electric vehicles, like fully electric. So that's kind of a shame. The Bolt isn't isn't a terrible vehicle. It's not. We've both driven it. It's fine. My parents had it. It was fine. I mean, it had some exploded problems uh, recently, <laughs> but hopefully those are solved. But like, it it's not terrible. And I also think that the um, the F one electric uh, pickup, the um, Lightning, is going to do quite well. 
But I think it's going to be massively supply constrained. They're just not going to be able to make enough of them. And I think what Tesla is showing us is that the demand is actually much greater than their own capacity. And so similar to Apple when they're launching new products, it's not about demand. It's about how much they can actually make. And that's that's how they can have such great visibility into what's going to happen is if you're supply constrained, you know what the whole year's production is going to be less any more supply problems. It's not a demand problem for them, both on on the vehicle side and on the energy side. I mean, even in the earnings call, we won't talk about energy much this this, uh, this episode because there's so much to talk about the vehicles, but they believe there'd be 2 to 3x demand for the mega packs uh, based on the conversations they're having with utilities. They just literally cannot make enough mega packs for what people want. <laughs> and so to be in a, a situation where you have three times the demand and you're just choosing how to fulfill it, that's a pretty nutso place to be. Uh, Good, in a good way, but also immensely frustrating that you have to not satisfy that demand because you've got like physical logistics constraints around being able to literally make these, you know, put the pieces together <laughs> based on other suppliers. It's, it's not like their teams don't want to or can't do it. It's, right. it's just so unusual to be in such a di- like supply-constrained world uh, as a business. Like, it's like so rare uh, that supply is your problem. <laughs> The, the good problem at least in the software category. world yeah i mean the software world it's like it's you know almost never the supply issue so it we're seems, always focused on demand it, it seems like the longer tesla remains the dominant ev provider to the more i mean I, this is going far afield so if you want to table this till later let me know but the 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 more the value of making of keeping the uh supercharger network tesla exclusive remains right because uh one of the problems with if, if the if there aren't many Ford or GM or any of the other EVs out there, there's less demand for all the charging stations and the rollout of all the infrastructure will be necess- necessarily slower. Uh, whereas Tesla has this existing network and, you know, there's been talk like, will it, will it be open? Are other people going to be able to use it? And it seems like this is, this just makes it all the more strategic of an asset to have. Yeah. I mean, I, I do agree that it, could be a fully strategic asset, but Tesla seems to be open to licensing it because they are now, I believe in the Netherlands and a few other countries, uh, for sure, they are actively letting other people use the superchargers uh, if they use the CCS chargers in Europe, which are more standard. And um, those, it's gone well enough that they've expanded that pilot to a few other locations. And um, yeah, I, I guess think, I'm thinking U.S. more because I feel like the U.S. is so spread out that it's it's a little bit more of a strategic thing than in, yeah. in denser populated areas. And I think what's what's interesting is that while that's true, people still just generally are preferring to buy a Tesla. I mean, it's just it's not even close the amount of vehicles that Tesla is selling relative to everyone else combined in the battery electric vehicle world, right? Like, remember yeah. when the iPace came out uh, <laughs> and the new Nissan Bolt, or sorry, the uh, the um, Leaf, the Leaf, the new Leaf came out. Like, I every think- single time one of these things came out, it was headlines of game over for Tesla, and we were like, no, nah, I don't think so. If you drive the vehicles, they're nice, but they're not materially better, and so why would you pick them? And People thought, oh yeah, even the the BMW, the Mercedes, uh, the Mercedes ones that are coming out, and the Audis, like, where are those? Those are not those aren't changing the world in yeah. any meaningful way. And I think now, to your point, people have just sort of the equation in people's minds is if you want an electric vehicle, you get a Tesla. Like that is the default. And 
to have that just mental belief that Tesla is represents electric vehicles. They're becoming is the, the so Kleenex. powerful. It's a Kleenex yeah. thing or Google. It is a it is a Kleenex thing. It's a Google thing. It is the iPhone. It's like or it's like when, yeah, everything when, uh, else. Since since the Super Bowl is coming up, it's like when Microsoft sponsored the NFL to use their tablets and the announcers kept calling them iPads. <laughs> right. Exactly. It's yeah. like you can't even fight it when you're the official sponsor. Yeah. Um it's sort of it is it is really the same thing. And and what's crazy is they're still able to do this with the highest profit margins in the industry. I mean, if you compare the uh, the profit margin, uh, both the profit margin, like the top level profit margin and operating margin, Tesla now uh, in Q4 has now exceeded GM, Toyota, BMW, Honda, Volkswagen, Daimler, Hyundai, Ford, and Nissan's individual gap operating margin. So they have the highest operating margin of all major car companies so for every dollar they sell they have the most dollars drop i mean they've got 12 cents dropping to the bottom line for shareholders and so they the thing that's so powerful about that is they also tend to sell pretty premium vehicles right now uh and they're selling everyone they can make so i remember when we started this podcast we talked about how tesla was essentially the iphone of the car world where they may not sell the most units, but they have the highest quality brand. They represent sort of the future of what this product is going to be. And for Apple, that was the iPhone and smartphones. And they would have the most profit margin. And the benefit of having the most profit margin is then you get to do incredibly uh, asymmetric things in terms of your investment in production and your team and everything really, because you just have more profit per unit. And Tesla already now has shown that they have the most profit per unit. So the, the fact that people, <laughs> even a few years ago, were like, wow, there's no way, these are not profitable, they're losing money on every car, that is just totally gone. And I really feel like we were vindicated in that we were looking at the unit economics of the individual vehicles, and others were looking at the total company economics, and we're like, no, 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 you can't look at that. You have to, You have to know that the fixed costs of the number of software engineers isn't going to keep scaling linearly with right. every new vehicle they sell. That That's going to be relatively stable. And I think Apple is a perfect model of this. Like their, their team has not increased nearly at the rate of their sales. And so now they have so much money, they have to do a dividend and cash buy and, and like share buybacks. I mean, it's just like they're falling over themselves with cash. And so are the other ma- major tech companies. And Tesla is on that curve. And they don't even believe they have any like near-term, uh, you know, roadblocks to margin increasing. And this is all with like almost no full self-driving revenue recognition, which is going to be, I don't know, ninety-eight percent profit margin, gross profit margin. <laughs> like it's just, <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, and well, and it's it's the the underlying thing is too that that the EVs are just inherently simpler machines than the internal combustion. That too. Engine. I mean, the asymmetric competition. It's not like. BlackBerry and, uh, you know, um, Nokia were competing in the same product category. Like they still had batteries. They still had circuit boards. They still had uh, CPUs and memory, DRAM, all that stuff. They were like their bomb, their bill of materials was still relatively similar. uh, And they, they couldn't beat Apple. Tesla is competing against companies that are putting physical engines that are having mini explosives multiple times (laughs) per second. 
uh, it, like without computer, like without any central computing. Well, just the yeah, just, and the amount of moving parts, the fluids, the and it's and I, it's I just think, a, f- a fully different platform, like just right. totally different. And on top of that, as the other EVs start moving to, or as the other car companies start moving towards EVs, Tesla also has the now advantage that they're also manufacturing their own batteries, which is going to be the constraint for all the other companies coming through yes. who will be buying batteries from someone else. Maybe Tesla. Yes. <laughs> well, they're, and yeah, they're going to be they're going to be assembling these packs from other suppliers who are not actually doing it for anyone else except for other manufacturers, and those companies also want to make a profit. So the key cost of the electric vehicles for the near term is still the battery packs and the motors, and all the major automakers are outsourcing that to other people still. So even if they could get them at the same uh, like the the same quality. They're going to be paying more because they need another. The supplier needs some profit margin. So, it's yeah. I mean, even even if they kept the same model and com- could compete with Tesla uh, efficiency wise, which they can't still, um, it would still be more expensive. And so these subsidies are just like you don't hear people talk about the subsidies very much. Like that seventy five hundred dollar federal subsidy is not the reason Tesla is succeeding because Teslas don't get that anymore. Yeah, and they haven't for a while. They haven't for a while, and the EV tax credits are not the reason why Tesla has billions of dollars in profit this quarter. It helped. It's nice. But as a percentage of their profit over time, it continues to decrease. And so, yes, that was useful in the beginning, but it's not the reason uh, that they have $2.6 billion in operating income. So... All the reasons that have been ballied about for the past five years of why Tesla would eventually fall over um, are not true. And the structural reasons that we've been talking about for years of why Tesla, if they continue to execute, would pay dividends are like all accumulating and happening very, very quickly all at once. Um, and it's very sudden um, in the financial results. But like, it's not like they changed something materially this quarter over last quarter that led them to be so much more profitable. Right. It's just that it tipped, um, and and that's pretty pretty powerful. So, yeah. what do we want to talk about next? Let's see. I think we can talk about the, how cool these pictures of these new factories are. They're huge. Yeah. Let's talk about the new factories. Like <laughs> again, all this was from California and Shanghai. So, current production for California, SNX Tesla tells. Investors, uh, SNX has around 100,000 unit capacity. They're nowhere close to that yet in terms of their um, production for SNX. So SNX in 2022 has massive upside potential still. Um, One of our friends just recently got delivery of his Model X, his new one, and he's a previous Model X owner and he loves it, thinks it's much better. Uh, He he wasn't so sweet on that first one. He was not so sweet on the first one. I think he ended up getting that one replaced with an old, another older version of Model X. But he likes the yoke now. He's getting used to it. But he said it's like almost too fast, too quick, um, and kind of unnecessarily quick now, like too too much. <laughs> he would probably go for the long-range one instead of the plaid, um, which is, you know, if, you, if you've reached the point where someone says, you know what, I, I don't think it could – I don't need it to go any quicker. Like that, that's pretty – 
unusual uh, for, for for someone who likes vehicles to be like, eh, no, it's too too quick. Like it makes me sick. Uh, too quick. So <laughs> it needs a Pepe mode. And yeah, his his kids love that the vehicle has the uh, the screens in the back, and he said it feels much more luxurious, much more refined, like just a better version of the Model X. Um, so that bodes well for the super premium segment, the S and X. Then the three and Y has five hundred thousand capacity in California currently, um, which is pretty similar to what we thought. I think they've talked about 400,000 in the past. So, you know, a total of 600,000. It still blows my mind they can get that many vehicles out of that factory. Like not necessarily manufacturing them, but just shipping them out. Yeah. I mean, the the, the traffic at that Cato road is pretty nuts um, with, with uh, car carriers. Um, And Shanghai now for model three and Y, the only two vehicles they produce there is above 450,000. So that's how you get to that, uh, you know, 950,000 currently, uh, but they already think they're going to do more than that this year. And they said they'd be able to hit their production targets this year just with California and Shanghai. So they believe they will get even surpass the 600,000 in California and the 450 in Shanghai. So that's like also pretty impressive. But then they've got Berlin, two new massive factories bigger than the previous at Berlin and in Texas. And both of them unsurprisingly, are launching with Model Y. Uh, And those are currently producing vehicles, uh, but they are not yet certified to be sold to customers. The factories aren't fully approved to be open and and running, but they are currently building vehicles uh, and building Model Ys. Do those factories, uh, where do the batteries come from? Are all the batteries coming from Nevada or do they, are the factories building battery packs there? So they're most of those batteries for these Model Ys are actually going to be using the new uh, 4680 cells um, that are being made in California at that Cato Road facility uh, oh. near the, the factory, the, the newer cell size. And um, those batteries are going into also a, a new technology, which is the structural battery pack for Model Y. So <clears throat> the Model Y is getting redesigned. So only at Berlin and Texas right now, uh, will it be this new format where what they talked about at Battery Day, where you've got these bigger cells that have more energy density, they are physically larger, uh, and they have less sort of inert material in them. So they're also strong enough where they actually form this sort of honeycomb that is the uh, structure of the of the vehicle. So instead of these cells being put into modules with plastic around them and then needing a substructure, they are actually fused together, and that, that structure, those steel cans that these cells are in, actually form the bottom pan of the vehicle. And then there's the front casting, which is fully cast, which eliminates dozens and dozens, 70-plus parts, and the rear casting. Those go together, so there's three parts for the bottom of the vehicle, and um, which is incredibly impressive because now they're using these brand-new cells, which are more efficient, uh, they have higher energy density. They are going to be less costly to produce at scale, and they eliminate many, many parts in the actual uh, battery sort of enclosure. And they're smaller, so they reduce the uh, polar. What is it called? Polar inertial momentum. Uh, correct me, but it's it's basically the, because they're going to be pulling more of the mass towards the center of the vehicle, uh, the car will handle better. Um, <laughs> and so. You know, it's basically why like Porsches and others that have sort of these rear engines that are more towards the center of gravity in the center of the vehicle um, can 
can turn more quickly and have better handling. And so not only are the Model Ys going to be uh, have better range and be lower cost uh, at scale, they're also going to be better handling and safer. So yeah, both of these factories are, are launching with Model Y, which is the highest volume vehicle that they're going to be able to do. Uh, that's the most popular vehicle style in the world. And they're launching it with sort of this revamped uh, battery pack system. And uh, Tesla is also getting Panasonic and their other providers to do the 4680 cell. Um, and their suppliers are excited to do it. So Tesla will ramp it up. But the great thing is that for 2022, uh, Drew, their CTO, said on the call that Tesla is not going to be battery constrained on the 4680 cells. Um, they still believe chips will be their constraint for, for 2023, sorry, for 2022. And, uh, and thus the 4680s are, uh, not the problem in 2023, the battery cells might be the problem again, but right now they have enough battery cells to do what they want. Um, the chip shortage is still the limiting factor. Okay. So as, as these, uh, revamped model Y's come online from Texas and is Texas going to replace the function the output from California or will it be selling two different varieties? They'll be selling. Yeah, they'll be selling two. So that's a big kick in the pants because Texas will be serving the Eastern two thirds of the U S and California will be serving the Western one third of the U S. Um, so if you're in California, you're most likely going to be getting, uh, the, um, the Fremont model Y's. And if you're in New York, you're most likely to get the, uh, new model Y's once those come online and are scaled. So, that's going to be a little weird. Uh, I would expect at some point they will retool uh, in, in California to do the Model Y line on the same platform. But I think it, it basically shows that they know Model Y is the most popular of all their vehicles. So that's why they're going to do it at Berlin and Texas with the same exact sort of system. Uh, then I expect they would backport that to Shanghai first and then backport it to California have all Model Ys at some point being produced using the exact same system, yeah. and then eventually retool the Model 3 and redesign the Model 3 to support the structural battery pack. But it's still a little while out. But what's interesting is like they're not doing it for Model S and X yet because Model S and X are doing sort of new technology um, in like the most expensive technologies where Model Y is taking advantage of this like cost reduction technology, which happens to be the structural battery pack that also happens to use these new cells. Um, but it's kind of cool that the model, the new model Ys from Texas and Berlin are going to be using, uh, these better battery packs and will be lighter, uh, well, better energy, uh, better energy density, better range if they put the same number of cells in and, uh, generally just be better, better vehicles. So it's, um, it's pretty cool. And what, what's neat too, is if you scroll down in the notes, I've got a photo from, uh, the Giga Texas below the paint shop one. Uh-huh. And remember when they showed like they had the seat bot, they had, they had a, usually when they're putting in the seats in Tesla's, uh, in the past, the seats had to like go through the door openings because the <laughs> yeah. car was already assembled. Um, but now with the structural battery pack, they actually attach the seats when there's no other like, uh, panels around it so there's no door panels there's no trunk there's no front it's just being attached directly to the structural battery pack so the cars are actually going to be built from the inside out now which means that the uh, labor and sort of the finickiness of getting into the vehicle really goes down pretty dramatically so they're able to put the seats in 
with no other stuff around it, um, <laughs> which pretty is pretty wild. cool. I, I want to see like a video. There's surely there's, there's going to be a video of Elon scooting around in the uh, parking lot of the factory on just seats on a battery. Yeah, they absolutely could do that, right? <laughs> and and so now they'll build the rest of the car around it when everything else is already sort of in place. Um, I think they'd even be able to do the dashboard and everything. And, and that tooling to get the dashboards in and around all this stuff is kind of challenging. Um, so anyway, it's like... Tesla Doom buggies coming up is what you're saying. Yeah, no doors. The Jeep, the Jeep version, essentially. Um, <laughs> but then that means all the rest of the body panels will basically snap on to the, to the structural pack at the bottom. Um, so it's a it's definitely a, a new way to build these vehicles, but um, like the true scape, like the true personification of what the skateboard originally was intended to sort of be possible is now is now coming true. So, but 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 the big thing here is like now they're going to have two factories coming online at almost the exact same time that they've already built. That if you look at the latest photos and drone footage, they are very very close. They've already done public tours of the Brandenburg factory running. They've got the the uh, the, pre- the giga presses the, that are doing these uh, the giga castings that are taking all these uh, bolted together previously bolted and welded parts for the front and rear, and those are a single piece of aluminum um, or some aluminum alloy. <laughs> That's now going to be coming online and those are going to there's some of the largest factories they have so those will be 600 700 800,000 capacity factories probably eventually targeting a million and both of those factories are also now turning on battery production cell production so uh they alluded to in the call that uh, the sleuths on the internet and the drones uh, realized that uh giga texas was starting to install battery equipment uh, to make battery cells so that you know production line they've, they've got uh, near the former Tesla headquarters in Fremont is now far enough along that they're ready to start uh, putting some production from those systems in Tesla uh, Texas and they're also doing it in Berlin so we're, we're so creeping closer the, to the uh, what the dreadnought what is it the the parts going yeah, in the and, and true, cars come yeah, out exactly the true alien dreadnought of the idea like they don't I don't even they talked about the gigafactory um, in Nevada at all on the call like it, that's just like it's still producing batteries and, and drivetrains, but the future is a full production facility uh, that does everything. That you they make the cells, they make the packs, the structural packs, and they make the vehicles, and that's and that they do everything in one place. And so, Texas and Berlin are both setting up to do that. Shanghai will also get those batteries eventually, but we're going from two to four. I mean, that's a huge increase. And not only that, but like Berlin is in Europe. So Shanghai will no longer have to do the exports to Europe when it scales out. And Texas is also in a really great spot uh, and has way more room for expansion than, than California does and, and can serve a massive part of the U.S. So, yeah, that's a, yeah. like it's more like 1.5 to 4, right? Cause the yeah, exactly. Because California is just so hampered. Yeah. So anyways, uh, capacity is about to go bonkers in terms of uh, their, their, their range. And and what the other important thing is, like, as we've talked about, labor uh, in Fremont is pretty tough to come by. Um, Austin, Texas is certainly booming, but it's certainly not as costly yet to live in Texas as it is to live in uh, the Bay Area. Um, so Texas certainly has that, that op- opportunity to be able to to grow a lot bigger. And now Texas is also the headquarters for Tesla. 
So they're going to be sort of recruiting and, and pulling in a lot more people who just want to live in Texas to work at Tesla headquarters. It's not really the satellite anymore where California is no longer the headquarters. Um, so yeah, soon, I soon mean, it will be the Fremont Tesla Museum. Yeah, I mean, it, at some at some point, yeah, Tesla uh, California is going to be the uh, the weakest of all the factories um, because I expect at some point they'll probably open a, an East Coast factory. They mentioned on the call that they will be investigating new factory options this year, probably announcing something at the end of the year. And uh, the real question is, do they do sort of a another European factory or do they do another U.S. factory? At some point, they'll need both. Um, maybe, maybe Elon may- just buys a bunch of barges and makes a floating factory and can just kind of yeah. sail the seven seas. Yeah, uh, in international waters. Uh, <laughs> crank out no, in, in a, hook up in a port, crank out some cars, move over to the next port. Yeah, just, you know, print-on-demand cars. Um, <laughs> they'll probably do something on the East Coast, like in North Carolina, South Carolina. Uh, that, that seems to be sort of the um, automotive uh, world. Uh, for the East Coast is in North or South Carolina. Um, Toyota, uh, BMW have really big factories there. Spartanburg. So, I would I would bet that's where they're looking for the East Coast, and then they may be doing something around the UK um, for uh, very Western Europe. Oh, um, even even post Brexit, they're looking at the UK. Yep, it it looks like they are, but it, it's uh, it's not confirmed. But th- yeah, those they're going to end up in two- Ireland. Those would be the two places I'm looking. I, I would not bet they would do Australia anytime soon. Um, I don't think they'll do New Zealand anytime soon. Ugh. don't think they'll do Alaska or Antarctica. So <laughs> it, it really seems like, and, and China certainly gives them a ton of capacity for, for Asia. Um, so uh, yeah, those would, be, those would be my bet, would be more Western uh, tip of Europe and um, possibly East Coast uh, US. So th- those are my soft guesses. But what's is interesting that- is that Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say they, they said they're gonna announce that sometime in 2022. They they Elon said likely at the end of 2022. Okay, so somewhere between now and 2023 or four. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> probably 22. I mean, definitely 2023. But okay. I, but the thing is, it's like I don't think we really need another factory right now. Like, right. I, people aren't that like clamoring for another factory. Like, just get Berlin and Texas up up and running. Like, two, scaling two factories simultaneously plus Shanghai continue to expand. They have plenty of headroom uh, yeah. to, to hit their targets of getting to like one and a half to then um, getting to like 2.5 million in 2023. So I, they bought, like in terms of square footage, concrete poured, they should be able to do for the next two years um, and, then, and then some. So I'm not that concerned where, you know, when they were just California, it was pretty hard to imagine how it, how it grows. <laughs> And they didn't have any, you know, evidence of being able to build a factory and how long that would take and environmental issues and blah, blah, blah. So now to have basically four um, is massive improvement, plus massive improvement in terms of delivery time, massive improvement in terms of uh, reducing the amount of VAT and uh, taxes and duties on different uh, imported products, being able to source locally. They talked about this at Shanghai. Um the Shanghai produced vehicles have uh, really improved margins as well because many of their suppliers, they are able to find uh, Chinese suppliers for the same parts, so they don't have to pay any of these extra duties or transit. So having localized production and, and then also having a European one, they're not going to have to ship the vehicles from Shanghai uh, for Europe anymore, and certainly not from California anymore. 
Uh, and then for Texas, um, not having to pay sales tax on the products that are purchased for that uh, area, uh, or lower to sales tax at least. Texas still has some sales tax. But anyways. Um, <laughs> so the factory big, situation is, is sorted for, for the sorted. Next, next couple of years. But, but the problem is, where are these other vehicles? Where are these other products? Like, where is Cybertruck? Where is Tesla Semi? Where is Roadster? Um, what do you have for us on that front? Well, unfortunately, nothing for 2022. So no new, Elon said on the call, and reaffirmed by multiple people on the call, no new products for 2022. So there will be no Cybertruck launch. There will be no Tesla Semi launch. There will certainly be no Roadster launch and, and nothing else. Uh, no the, Econo uh, Tesla, the, the, the long rumored economy Tesla? Nope. The $25,000 Tesla isn't even being worked on. Uh, that was asked about explicitly on the call. And um, Elon said they're not working on it currently. They're not even designing it. Um, he, unfortunately, he, he did pivot to the idea that like, why would you even need a $25,000 Tesla when there's robo-taxis? So oh, he dear. still is in the mindset that the robo-taxis will solve all the you know affordability concerns. Um, he did say they, they think they may do one. It's, they, they will do one at some point, they, but it's not, it's not being worked on. And so the primary reason here I think makes perfect sense. So it's not a, it's not a blast on them. It's just the, they're already constrained by the chips for 2022. And so they'd rather ensure that those chips go into vehicles that are fully scaled out and profitable, like the Model 3 and Y and S and X, versus spend cycles scaling Cybertruck, Roadster, or Semi that is going to be less efficient per unit of effort and uh, chip capacity and lower profit margin uh, for this year. And so their total output number of vehicles produced would likely go down if they were to try and turn on those products because they are supply constrained. Now in 2023, when they do not have the constraint on semiconductors anymore in the chips, uh, they will be able to turn those on and actually still increase total output of vehicles. Um, so so that's their, their reasoning is they don't want to decrease the output uh, or do anything that would decrease the output intentionally. And if they can't, you know, they basically be trading a Model Y for 0.75 Cybertrucks, basically. Right. Uh, like people or, keep giving us $20 bills. Why do you want us to start giving them $10 bills? Yeah, exactly. And so I totally understand that. I do think that's probably the correct, I mean, that is the correct decision, but it will be very disappointing for many people who are excited about Cybertruck and want a Cybertruck, believe that a Cybertruck was going to come at the end of 2021 and then slipped in the 2022 and now is slipping another year. Um, but the sequence of events that have led to that are understandable. I don't think they are necessarily Tesla-specific problems, and I do think that optimizing for total output is the correct decision, even though it's frustrating. And I also don't think that the, as we were discussing earlier, that the Ford F-150 Lightning production capacity is going to be such that it would destroy the opportunity for Cybertruck to come in a year later, right? Because the only other calculus would be does that truck existing uh shift demand from cybertruck to ford and i think ford will be lucky if they could produce a hundred thousand of those vehicles in the first year and so you know with that uh, the pickup truck market being the most popular market in the u.s 
I don't think there's much risk of uh, delaying one more year in terms of Cybertruck not being a important vehicle for them. <laughs> Plus, it gives them time to re-engineer the uh, unbreakable windows. Yeah, I mean, they probably still have a little more work to do on that Tesla armor glass. Um, <laughs> he did say also, somewhat worryingly, um, that Cybertruck is continuing through its uh, sort of production engineering, <clears throat> which is good, but he's still concerned about affordability and that there's a lot of new technology in it. And I started to get PTSD around the Model X and the <laughs> Fabergé egg fiasco for Model X. It's the doors all over again. It's the doors all over again. And he's lots of new technology, lots of new production methods. And it's like, oh boy, this could be a real big problem again. Like I expect Cybertruck's gonna have a lot of issues uh, production wise because it is so different. Um, in the way that it's constructed, and it sounds like it has a lot of new technology. And the fact that he doesn't believe yet that it's like the costing of it is solved, that it has a lot of great desirable features, but it's too expensive. But they already released pricing, and it doesn't <laughs> sound like the, those base models that were sort of around twenty nine or $30,000 are likely anymore. Like, that's a very affordable truck. But to not be con- now to be concerned that that's even feasible makes me kind of nervous that maybe this is going to be a $50,000, $60,000 truck only. Um, and originally, a lot of people were super excited about how cheap uh, the Cybertruck was getting. That always seemed so, weird, because even at 50000 it would compete with the F-150s. I mean, those Yeah, the well, well-spec things that people buy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah 29000 was like ridiculously low. I was really surprised when they announced that. Um, but anyways, so, so that seems to be somewhat delayed. Tesla Semi obviously uses a ton of cells. Um, they have cell capacity, but again, I, I think they those will not be as high margin. Are they uh, making sure. those right now, or are those? Are they have made. They, those are they on have hold made, as well. They've made more prototypes. Um, I think they'll probably do some production, but they're they don't want people to be expecting lots of semis coming out because also the margins on that are not going to be anywhere close. But to they, the didn't they announce the like uh, orders with some like shipping companies or? A shipping yeah. company like are they are they fulfilling those or are those on hold as well still seems to be on hold okay and then roadster um yeah n- no they they mentioned roadster roadster isn't dead it's just again delayed but the the silver lining i suppose is that they are elon mentioned that they are continuing to um, do the uh, production engineering and the line preparation this year so that Entering 2023, they should be further along, ready to actually launch them um, versus like starting, like launching one or two of them now with very low production and scaling up. It sounds like they're going to actually get more of the behind the scenes ready to go mm-hmm. and then launch them uh, a little bit further along than they've typically launched like Model Y or certainly Model 3 in the past. So the total clock time for an individual getting one of these vehicles may not change that much. <laughs> even if the first production uh, is delayed, if that makes sense. Sure, sure. Um, the other product he did mention I just want to touch on and get your your thoughts on because we haven't talked about this yet was uh, Optimus Prime um, oh or Subprime <laughs> Optimus, uh, their Tesla bot, the sort of humanoid robot. Or he the, said he the believed- literal human in the, in the demo video or yeah, presentation yeah, yeah. or whatever the- that monstrosity was. The 
Elon said on the call that he believes this could be bigger than the automotive business and that it is probably the most important uh, engineering project they have going on at Tesla right now and that by the end of the year of 2022, they expect to have a prototype. And um, he believes it's so imp- important because essentially the entire economy is made up of labor and uh, capital equipment. And capital equipment is basically the distilled human effort, you know, labor to make a machine, right? That's just human effort going into making a machine, which then can do human labor repeatedly. So it's like we're, we're veering into becoming a Marxist podcast here with all this terminology. Yeah. Uh, the wages we're, we're of not, labor. We're not trying to. <laughs> we're not trying to the, uh, the, the you know, the, the production production system. But um, he, he, he believes pretty strongly this is going to be a big deal. Um, I'm curious, what do you think about this Tesla bot? Um, both from a general, like, should exist, shouldn't exist kind of world, what you've seen as an outsider for um, the Boston Dynamics, like humanoid style stuff, just from like watching those videos and where this could be useful to Tesla based on the kinds of technologies they have of the motors and the sensors and, you know, uh, battery electronics and autopilot, like, what what is your sense of this product as it exists? I mean, I think it feels as presented. Yeah, it feels generous to call it a, a product. Um, I don't know. It, it seems so far in the future that it, it's hard to have any sort of concrete opinion on it. It's like, yes, it does seem inevitable that at some point, you know, the the, the entire built environment that we live in is is been built for humans. So if we want automation, it makes sense that something in a humanoid form uh, or, or roughly uh, human compatible form uh, will be something that will be very beneficial because it can just slot into you know, the world we have, whether that's robots taking care of all of our elderly people or doing jobs we don't want to do with the same machinery that we already have, um, you know, even down to the thing that like, you know, passageways everything is built for humans like of like five to six feet tall you know like humanoid forms so it does seem there's something inevitable there um it seems a little bit weird to be talking about it right now because i mean it's almost like a we're almost getting to like kind of concept car territory i guess Mm -hmm. (laughs) for a car company thing where it's just so far in the future that like sure it might exist and yes if tesla is is successful in what it's doing right now they can grow to the point where maybe they will be one of the providers of that in the future i mean boston dynamics was was purchased by hyundai they're now part of hyundai so you know there's certainly a, a industrial uh correlation there but i don't know it seems like there's we've been watching boston dynamics like slowly iterate on this and uh, and other uh companies as well but we've we've been watching it like slowly happen and you know granted companies like tesla who are starting on it at a later date they are building on a lot of this like research is open and like you know papers are published and things are out there so they're not starting from the same point that boston dynamics started from uh so there's that to consider but it's just such a radical shift that it seems that there is a huge danger of 
underestimating all of the difficulties in this mm-hmm. um, because you're just seeing the potential. I mean, you know, at a, at a more at a most extreme example, you can joke that who needs full self driving if you can just put a robot in your front seat to drive the car for you, right? Like you right, right. you got a robot chauffeur, chauffeur, and it, you're getting into sort of Jetsons territory of like this weird sort of retro futurism. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it, given all of the results that we've just looked at and all of the uh, they've accomplished so far, it's hard to just dismiss them out of hand. But it does seem uh, uh, like uh, we're talking about a, a sort of very distant future product. What do you think? I agree with everything you said. I was surprised to see them unveil that at the AI day. I did not expect that at all. Well, and, and the way they unveiled it, too. Well, that was bad. Um, I don't think they should have put someone in a suit dancing. That was very silly. Um, but I, I think that strategically and intellectually, it makes sense that you'd be like, well, we're, we have expertise in these areas, um, both from the sort of hardware engineering side, the uh, packaging, uh, efficiency of packaging, sensors, and then autopilot. Um, that makes sense. Uh, obviously, there's a lot more work to do on sort of s- the gyroscopic sort of motion control that seems to be a lot more advanced than what you need in a vehicle. Um, yeah, bipedal motion is, is a little harder than a, a yeah. four-wheeled vehicle, yes. But it has been surprising to me, to be honest, how... Boston Dynamic has pushed so much into like parkour and like a ro- like um, like gymnastic kind of motion. Like it doesn't seem necessary for moving boxes to be able to do backflips. <laughs> so I feel like that may just be a case of engineers having a lot of time on their hands without a specific use case in mind, because they're they were not owned by a company that needed physical labor to like do things and so like those those bipedal robots kind of yeah but i think they're showing off the like it's like saying oh sorry go ahead yeah no no no, yeah but but like why like they didn't actually get those uh, to my knowledge those are not actually being used in factories yet so no no that's true they kept pushing the feature set without any customer and that that seems like a really dangerous way to develop technology Sure, sure. I, I feel like the the analogy, and if we're going from that to the car world, is like you know, car car manufacturers will make cars that can do like you know ridiculously fast performance on the track as like demonstrations or something. And it's 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 like you know, okay, well, but you're not the Corolla, the Toyota Corolla can't go that fast. So why is that interesting? And it's I think it's like a there's a technology demonstration angle that is uh, that is interesting there. Yeah, but my my challenge with that is. I can't imagine any bipedal robot needing to do that because no humans do backflips in any daily task. So there's no well, point. Maybe, maybe you don't. Yeah, I don't. But like, I, there's no point to it. The the, uh, the things that I would be more curious about is like, could it unload a dishwasher? Uh, or like, could it deal, like show me things about its hands that are like how dexterous are its hands and it's like sensing capabilities. Right. Um, yeah. So, so anyways, like that just gives me confidence that perhaps the baseline of being able to walk and not fall over that we saw years ago with Boston Dynamics, to your point, may not be that tricky uh, to pull off. So that's kind of 
plus one in the category for Tesla that to do what they've said on the call, like, well, our first job for this would be in our own factories. Like if we can't find use for this sucker, no one would probably. So Elon said, well, sort of off the cuff, like it's probably likely that we'll use these to move boxes and move parts around the factory. So like that's a use case. That's like an MVP that you can actually be like, okay, can this thing actually replace the people who are moving parts around the factory or driving like, a, you know, instead of driving a little forklift uh, or driving a little cart, just walk these parts up and down 24 seven from one place to another, moving a box. Like, yeah. okay, that, that, that's like a very clear, we've ach- accomplished some goal and eliminated some labor. So I do believe that makes sense and is interesting. It's still surprising to me that Tesla is the one to do this. Um, and then my next question is like, how far do they take it? Because yeah, they could solve some labor problems for themselves, but do they really, are they really going to put a team behind this to be like, go solve this for the world and like, just keep tackling manual labor. That's so different than selling like premium electric vehicles. Um, <laughs> yeah, it feels a and, little and bit. And they like- already have trouble with that with like, the energy business like they barely talk about the energy business on the call like the energy business is definitely the like unloved stepchild of the company and that is at least moving forward the mission like sustainable robots is not a problem like (laughs) it's it's not an issue we currently have so i'm surprised but intrigued like i i certainly believe it and the thing i'm most excited about and and john gruber has talked about this on the alluded to this on on his podcast, the talk show, and every time he talks about it, I, I'm curious about it is, and I think you have one, you have a, a Roomba or like a Roomba style oh, yeah. uh, product in your house? Yeah, we have a Roomba. It is surprising to me how bad Roombas are still, and yes. yet they're still quite endearing and still useful. Like, as bad as it is, I still love that we have a Roomba and that it vacuums, it's great. Like. It's, it's a dancing it's a bear. Very cool. Yeah, it's a very cool thing. I'm glad we have it, but it's terrible still. And the idea of having one of these Tesla bots in our house at some point in the you know next decade is both terrifying and super exciting to me because I love the idea of having a patrol robot. I love the idea of having a robot that might actually be able to do the dishes and like unload the dishwasher that might actually be able to load stuff into the laundry machine uh, to fold laundry. Like... That idea, like those are very discrete tasks that I would ask it to do, uh, like unload groceries and put things away in the pantry. Like it sounds super benign, but I do think that makes a lot of sense. And the idea of having like a, a home a home worker who also could also like monitor elderly uh, parents and family, um, I think that's a super intriguing idea and really valuable for the world because it basically would allow you to not need more workers to support an aging demographic, which at least for the U S is going to become more of a problem over the next few decades. So not to get too far afield, but like I I am quite intrigued by this idea. And if it does come to fruition, like I'll say this, it does seem very feasible and I almost believe it's more feasible for this to work than full self-driving. And I now have more <laughs> confidence in full self-driving having used the beta. So I, and also which company do I believe could do this? I believe Apple possibly could get this and I would trust Tesla to 
put one of these things in my house. So there aren't that many other companies that I think are even like in the ballpark of attempting this. Well, what's so it, what's kind interesting of too is, is we haven't mentioned this, but before the Boston Dynamics really took over YouTube with their robot videos, uh, the, the at least what I remember the the bipedal robot demonstration was actually Honda. Like Honda yeah. had developed a oh man I forget its name. It had a I mean I don't know if it still has it, but it has like a kind of a clunky bipedal robot that they had built like years ago. Um, and you know their yes, Honda is that. among other things a, an automotive manufacturer, so there is precedent. That's true. Yeah, they did show that off a lot. Um, and then, was it called and Asimov? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they went to Ibo, their little dog. Oh, that was Sony. That was actually a physical product. Oh, yeah, sorry. That was Sony. Sorry. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but so, yes, yeah, that's I, true. But I mean, that was, I mean, I remember reading about that a while back that like, you know, Japan has a, a aging population and, and uh, the younger generation is is much smaller. So they were not, not in stature, but like, you know, in, in quantity. And yep. uh, they were there was a lot of research. That's why Honda and other companies were researching these ideas. In of, yeah, Japanese companies, yeah, yeah, bipedal, and they well, they just have a more kind of robot friendly culture, I guess. Yep, yep, I think that's fair. Yeah, I mean, I am very intrigued, and I guess the thing that gives me more confidence this is real is it's happening inside of Tesla instead of a, another company like a boring company or Neuralink. <laughs> You know, honestly, uh, if it wasn't just for the stupid dancing demo, I think my feelings on this would be like t- totally different. Like yeah. it's that just like, I don't know, it kind of ruined it from the start right there. But it is important to like get rid of that because I would bet most people on the team had no call in making that decision. They were like, <laughs> you think you're totally from the top? surprised. <laughs> I think that, I mean, I'm not sure. Tess, Elon even seemed kind of surprised by it. So. I, uh, I think it might have been a joke that he said, "Oh, that'd be funny," and then they didn't consider how <laughs> it would taint people's perception of this for months to come. Like the fact we're still talking about that demo, like the the, the dancing person is like a problem, but yeah, well, ultimately won't a, matter if this like actually can eliminate like dangerous labor for a lot of people. Yeah, well, and like if remember it causes, te- uh, people to underestimate it, then it's a it's a buy opportunity. Also, like how much would this thing cost? Like how much would you pay for it? I'm really. What do you think would be a reasonable price that you would be willing to pay outright? Like, I don't think I you know would it's pay a for total it. guess. I think, I I think know, you would. I think this would be like a leasing, renting thing. Yeah, per hour, per per month, kind yeah. of thing, just like a worker. Yeah. Okay. What would you pay? Uh, and what would you want it to do in your house? Just like, I guess let's just dep- explore this for a minute. Yeah, it depends on on what it's doing. I, I think if you're getting into like home health care, then you've got insurance to consider, and like it's going to be like a subsidized payment. Um, True. So that, but I mean. I don't know if you had like a, a robot made. I mean, people will spend, I mean, uh, geez, I don't know, $100, $200 a month to have people come over and clean and, you know, do their lawn or whatever else. Like think of all, all that you pay. Yeah, it could for. mow your lawn. It could literally mow your lawn. Like it could ride the tractor. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Push it. Or just imagine too, like, you know, maybe it's got more advanced capabilities for interfacing with other components in your house. So instead of having to figure out how to work with the damn HVAC or TiVo or whatever, like this thing can just, you can just tell it what to do. And it has kind of a kind of fulfilling series mission of like understanding you and, and interfacing with uh, all the other pieces of technology until it turns. But also like, but you know, you know how um, Amazon just released or is like talking about those new um, ring drones that fly around yeah. your house yeah 
sentries. This will also be a patrol for your property. I mean, yeah, you, you keep coming you back to this away. idea of having like robot guards. What's, what's going I, on? Not that they're going to shoot you, anyone. Are you sitting on a pile of gold over there or something? What's going, what's going no, on? No, no, no. It's just I, I'm not at my house right now. So I, I turn on my security camera a lot to see what's going on just to make sure everything's fine. And so I would be like, oh, it would be nice if I actually had the Tesla bot wandering around and I could basically take control of it and look out its eyes. Like, that would be great. Oh, like in the peripheral. No, exactly. Like I can just see through it and I basically tell it like, go to the bedroom and check it out. And like, oh, there's a leak. All right. Call the plumber. Open the door. Let the plumber in. Like all Be, this stuff. Is download it, the plumbing module and become the well, plumber. That, yeah. Become a, I mean, that, that's the long-term matrix style. Like it actually does a lot of the labor, but even in the beginning with it being pretty dumb, yeah. I think, I think it's a very discreet set of things you'd need for a home, like benefit of like folding laundry, like do stuff with laundry yeah, although it's, it turns out manipulating cloth is extremely difficult, and that's yeah, why we exactly. don't have robot, where they, robot sewing factories. Yeah. yeah, that's where they really need to spend a ton of time. Uh, dishes would be a little easier, um, yeah. doing dishes. Yeah. I, um, I think the, the sweet spot, too, is like, is, it's like you say, like fitting into the house. Because I think even talking about factories, it's, it's, it doesn't seem as compelling to me because unless you have like incredibly dangerous materials you're working with, because I feel like in a factory – Anything that is that automated is going to be automated in old school, more dependable ways. And like humans are there to kind of be the glue between things that haven't fully been automated yet and like haven't been yeah. created as like embedded processes, like, you know, as things are evolving. But like the the real sort of freeform world is like inside where humans live, like in the houses and, you know, out in public and that sort of stuff, like sweeping up sidewalks and putting away dishes and you know the the rosie from the jetsons stuff yeah or, i mean it's or exactly humans. right like did you watch the show humans it's a uk yeah. show yeah 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 like and like kiva that uh, amazon bought like moves shelving around it right. doesn't physically move each item it that, just lifts the whole right and that's what rack. it feels like that's more of a factory thing right because you're exactly you're once getting you into know like a business process and you're just going for it yeah Scaling yeah, it out. Like filling filling in the gap with like low cost labor is not usually the most effective use of, of capital. Right. Um, well, and specifically uh, the the guy one of the guys, Rodney Brooks, the guy from MIT who was a co founder of iRobot, like also then had a Dexter was his like the his next robot startup where it was like a amb- it had two arms and it had a face and it was designed to like work alongside humans in factories, and I'm pretty sure it fizzled out. Because it, it yeah. I think it's like there's like that sort of uncanny valley between like the fully automated processy and like the completely ad hoc stuff that humans have to deal with. Yeah, totally. So, anyways, that seems really challenging. Well, the other upcoming product potentially at some point down the road, which I would be excited about, is one of the uh, questions from the shareholders was about HVAC. That, I, was, Tesla, I had a question about this. <laughs> like, I missed this. What? Can you explain this to me? <laughs> yeah. So someone asked, is Tesla going to get into the HVAC world? And um, because Tesla has their uh, heat pumps in the Model Y and Model 3 now, and it seems like a logical extension from you've got solar generation uh, with solar roof and, and the solar panels. You've got solar storage or energy storage rather with Powerwall in the home. The next, and you've got the chargers for the for the Teslas. Uh, that the next logical piece would be HVAC, and and Elon has talked about wanting to do uh, air conditioning in the past, 
and um, that essentially, if you could get rid of like natural gas, oil heaters, uh, and electric space heaters, it would be a very large percentage of carbon emissions in the world. And that their view is that the majority of the electric um, uh, heat pumps are not really as advanced as what Tesla has designed for their vehicles because Tesla has to deal with even more extreme temperatures uh, in massively energy-constrained environments and very small packaging, and it has to be extremely reliable. And so if they were just able to scale that up, they could build uh, extremely efficient water heaters and extremely efficient air conditioning and heating units for people's homes and do that in a really elegant experience that's connected to your power wall and whatnot. Oh, I was going to um, say the power wall could be built in so that it just keeps running all the time. Exactly. And so what's interesting is Elon was talking about this on the call and then the guy who runs the energy business started talking about it and how it's like super obvious that they, they at some point they'll do this. It's a super logical next step and that they will continue to integrate and as they continue to integrate Powerwall and, and um, the charging infrastructure and the solar uh, inverters and just sort of make this all one package, eventually they want to get into the HVAC. But um, it's sort of a little bit – there's too many projects they're tackling right now. But at some point, they it seems likely they'll do this. And as someone who has a natural gas uh, boiler in the house and currently has even natural gas uh, water heater, I want to switch those out with – heat pumps and the best in class is still not that great and pretty ugly and pretty big and even the heat pump uh, water heaters are pretty clunky it's like there isn't the tesla of (laughs) hvac right now there's no no tesla home product no and so i would love for this to exist i wish it existed right now because i would switch out both of those um and have to do something else in the meantime but um it makes perfect sense like even this summer we use the Tesla, the Model Y, as a, our house has an air conditioning, it got really, really hot for a week or so. And we spent afternoons in the Tesla because <laughs> it was air conditioned. And we just parked it in the shade and used it as air conditioning. And it used almost no electricity. I mean, it used like a dollar a day. I mean, it used a minimal amount of electricity to, to obviously, it's a very small space. But it was way more efficient just to like spend some time in the Tesla during the day instead of trying to like cool down our house with like, window air air conditioner so it makes sense to me i i do expect they'll do it at some point but it will fit into their energy their home energy world and not like the car world but uh this makes sense yeah it feels i mean i think the what makes me a little bit skeptical about all of this is that it's so fun to extrapolate all of this stuff Mm -hmm. (laughs) that it it it, part of the back of my head is saying like oh that's kind of wait what's going on this is this is too fun um, right, right, right. And it, it almost feels a little bit like if you're watching some sci-fi movie that's set in the future, like maybe 10 years ago or something, they would have just had like all this futuristic stuff and like slapped like a Toyota logo on it or something because, you know, it looks like, of course, the Blade Runner is made by Toyota or whatever, you know, the yep. the thing is. Um, and yeah, there's a little bit of that where it's like, am I, am I getting a little over my skis here and in, in kind of imagining all of these, all this fun future? Uh, but it well, is the fact that like there, multiple executives on the call are like, yeah, definitely. It's just at some point, like they want to do it. It wasn't even fanciful to them. It's like <laughs> well, in a long enough timeline, sure. Well, and and they do physically like make this stuff, right? Like yeah. this is a component of the car, right? Yeah, that's uh, what it is. It's, it's it's not ridiculous. It's it's or it's at least not implausible. 
Yeah, they do have experience. Now, the actual, like, getting plumbing contractors to install this, but the same challenge they're having now with the roof, like, Solar Roof is still trying to figure out how to get enough roofers to right. uh, accept it. Well, but eventually, like, the plumbing contractors and HVAC contractors don't really care what they install. Right. Uh, they are just being – they make a margin on the product they install. So the same way that electricians now will install Tesla wall chargers and power walls and it gives them another reason to come – I think they'd be happy to install these uh, once they're there, and hopefully they'll be simpler to install, have less maintenance, and you know, be better margin for them. So yeah, and I think for uh, for Tesla, the the opportunity here is it might seem far fetched now, but if they actually put the work into developing this, and like as you're saying, in in the middle of where it is not normally hot, you had to hide in your Tesla because the climate is changing so much yes. that, <laughs> that you're there. So it's we might get to the point where, you know, five, ten years down the road or, or further that uh, the climate changes enough where government needs to start incentivizing big changes to these things. And all of a sudden, plumbers are going on to the, you know, save Americans program or whatever, whatever, whatever the government sets up and is, you know, incentivizing all of these like electronic or electric uh, solar powered things. And, and, and Tesla's instead of having to develop something from scratch at that point is already there with the products. And not to put you too far, but like the, the trend of people working from home, I don't think is going away. It will only continue to expand. And so if you're working from home, like the comfort in your home during the day matters more. And so making sure you have the correct heating and cooling system in your home over time is going to matter more and more. And so that means more homes are going to have air conditioning and heating in all zones of the country and world, even if today you might not install air conditioning in your house or you might not install a lot of heating. And so like these mini splits that people in Europe have been using for a very long time are starting to show up in the U.S. where they do both heating and cooling with um, uh, with heat pumps that technology is starting to get more and more advanced and people are getting more used to it. And I think over time, every home in the U.S. is going to expect having full air conditioning and full heating. And so that costs a lot more. Uh, and, and so being able to have that be less costly, the same way that running a Tesla is less costly, will eventually be reason enough to upgrade your HVAC system. Um, yeah. So anyways, I think it will happen next decade, but... It's not like a 2023 or 2024 thing, so not, not super pressing. Um, was there anything else you wanted to hit on? I know we've been going for a while, uh, um, but, you know, it's a quarterly earnings call, so, you know, we got a lot of stuff to cover. But I feel like— The bot—I mean, I thought the bot was interesting. The insurance thing is kind of interesting. Oh, yeah. Do you want to touch on that at all? Yeah, so Tesla Insurance uh, is now, I believe, with five, uh, five states in the U.S. now have Tesla Insurance and— it is, yeah, and four of them have the telematics, and California does not. So California is just based on the standard rates that you're allowed to charge um, against, like, the insurance policies that uh, the insurance regulators in California allow. So your own driving does not have any bearing on it. It's just based on your demographics and sort of psychographics of, you know, did you graduate high school? Did you graduate college? Like how long have you, have you ever been arrested? All these kind of things. Are you a male in your but, early twenties? Sorry, you're right. Yeah. Your age. Yeah. Sorry. You're <laughs> the biggest ones of your age and your, your, your sex slash gender. Um, so, but four of the States do have telematics, which allows Tesla to adjust the rate based on your actual driving behavior. 
And so in Texas, where this is available, they've been in Texas for about three months, they said that they've actually been able to use the feedback loop of lowering your price if you drive. They can tell you if you're driving safely using your safety score, encourage you to drive safer by dangling the carrot of a lower uh, monthly insurance rate. (laughs) If you achieve that safer driving, they found that that does actually lead to fewer accidents. And so it's a positive feedback loop where it people drive – Tesla can charge the correct rate based on your actual uh, risk profile. They can encourage people to drive safer. When those people drive safer, they pay less, and they also get into fewer accidents. So if you put the, the self-driving on and it's rolling through stop signs, is that affecting your insurance score? Well, that's where Tesla has to you know, <laughs> pony up uh, – they haven't Sorry, yet. They haven't, linked, they haven't linked that yet, but that that is uh, that will be a concern. Yes, but uh, and I mean but, it is interesting that not many car companies vertically integrate all the way through insurance, right? Like maybe GM no. does. I don't know. They they seem to be in everything, but yeah, but no, but but this is super intriguing because their goal is to get to all fifty states this year. Um, they hope to have eighty percent of customers be able to choose it by the end of the year. So I think they're applying for the licenses in all the states. Each state has their own insurance uh, governing board. Do you have so access the, to it? Or no, Montana does not. Um, I would switch to it because also I'm not driving. So the other thing is that they also look at how much you drive. So if you're not driving very much, you wouldn't have a very large bill. And there have been companies like Metro Mile and a few others that, um, yeah. and I think even Progressive has like a little dongle um, that you can plug in. And so you, there are there, there have been experiments around this. It's not as if it's only Tesla. But the idea that it's fully baked into the car, right, with all the sensors um, is great. Like, I am a big fan of this. I, I think that ultimately what this does is creates a much more efficient marketplace for insurance. And the idea that just based on some answers I put on a form dictates and, like, the, my vehicle dictates my insurance seems nutty to me. Like, <laughs> if I'm a better driver, range, yeah. if I'm a better driver and I drive – safely infrequently i should pay a lot less insurance than someone who drives at 100 miles an hour and takes turns ridiculously and passes people and honks their horn all the time like i think that's reasonable and the thing is the people who are unreasonable drivers will get priced out of tesla insurance they'll have to go to the other insurance insurers but tesla will eventually hollow out the good drivers from those other policies and so that those other policies start to get really really expensive uh and so it's like a really interesting economics experiment, but Does, I am a big fan of this because it eventually leads them to be able to offer insurance on full self-driving, which you were jokingly alluding to, but <laughs> is very realistic that if they are responsible for paying for the insurance, both the uh, casualty insurance, if someone were to be, God forbid, injured or killed, but also the property damage insurance, if Tesla's on the hook for that, uh, then they have a really clear incentive to make sure that autopilot and full self-driving do not cause losses um, and eventually gives them the ability to say, we are taking on the risk because we are an insurance company in the state where you're using full self-driving. So I, they haven't set it out right, but I believe it is sort of a, uh, a necessary chess move for them to get approval to offer full self-driving in all states would be to be able to say to regulators, we are taking on the liability yeah. because we are an insurance company. And when customers are using full self-driving, here is their premium, the same way that when you go on Airbnb, 
you have a million dollar sort of protection for your home that gives you a lot of confidence. I think the exact same thing will happen with Tesla and they will only turn it on in certain regions and time frames. But when it's running and you're not interacting with it, they would take on the, the liability and they will have an insurance company in all these states to do it. That, that's my projection for the next few years mm -hmm. of how they will get regulators to agree is they will take on liability and they will use this insurance as the uh, mechanism to take on that liability. Do you think that's also a strategic advantage against other car companies that are trying to do autom automotive automation? It will certainly be cheaper for them to do it themselves um, than to have uh, like Lloyd's of London or someone else be a reinsurer for a GM or someone else to be like, well, we have to pay for this. But ultimately, I think um, it's just a better feedback loop for Tesla, the same way that them doing their own service and trying to improve the vehicles to reduce service uh, does. Um, but but ultimately, I don't think any of these companies want someone to get injured. Like, they, they do not want to release it believing someone's going to be injured and just take the cost because they know the PR impact is way more damaging than the actual, like, damages. So I think it's a bit moot, but I do think it is in the in the long run correct that there will still be accidents and someone has to pay, and it certainly won't be the person who's the passenger. And so the state isn't going to want to take on that liability and so Tesla is going to have to find someone to pay, and they might as well do it themselves as an insurance company, would be my view. Yeah. Well, and it, I mean, aside from all of that, too, it's also it would also be nice for it to just be like a one-click experience of, I bought that a too. Tesla, it showed up, it's insured, as opposed to, which insurance company am I going to go? How how much insurance do I want? Oh, wait, what does it mean if, if I'm injuring someone, if someone's injuring me? What about rental cars? Someone else is driving my car? There's so many options for insurance that it would be really nice to have it like, you know, you know push the button, drive your car, and you're, you're going, and that's it. The other really powerful idea, too, in this, in this near term and what you're describing is when Tesla's paying for the insurance, like, and the majority of the insurance uh, issues with vehicles is like the parts, like actually having to be repaired. Um, they know how much those parts cost and they know how much the labor is to fix them. So they can decide we'll fix it at our factory or we'll have a local body shop fix it. But like they're going to be the ones providing the parts. And so there's no incentive for them to charge more. Like the overall cost of the repair will be less by Tesla doing it and being the insurance company because they're they're like basically only negotiating now with the labor of the company doing the fix. There are versus, fewer, fewer people taking a VIG yeah, all the way down. Fewer, yeah, exactly. Fewer, fewer people and like they know what the costs are. They know what parts need to be replaced and they know that they have a customer on the other end who's been paying for this insurance. So I do think it's better actually all, all up um, if they can get the customer service component correct. But like theoretically, this should be better for them both on the – uh, parts side as well as the insurance side to be able to own both sides of that marketplace and eventually they'll also do and they also are doing body repairs themselves in some markets and so eventually this will also become fully integrated because ultimately if they are running the robo taxi fleet which is their ultimate goal they need to do this anyways all themselves right like yeah. maybe they'll pay other people to go fix the cars for them in the interim but like well, eventually they'll have their own people to fix the cars so until optimus well offer that prime to their can, can hop into a cyber truck and uh and and go out and repair your car in, on your site yeah exactly that too just like get out there and hammer out these little micro <laughs> micro scratches <laughs> and a little micro suction dents. cup to pull out the dent 
Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So uh, anyways, is there, was there anything else, uh, anything else that you thought was interesting here? Or do you want to move on to the, uh, to our, our letter grade? I think, I think that's good. I feel like uh, folks should let us know if there are areas we didn't touch on and maybe we could do a follow-up. Um, do you have any general, general Elon feedback? Uh, how did, how did Elon, uh, how did Elon come across? Uh, any, any, I would any say more? he came across quite reasonable, quite calm. Um, didn't seem agitated or upset or, you know, he didn't, he didn't really put any snarky comments on any of the analysts or anything. He did just feel extremely confident in full self-driving by the end of this year, uh, safer than a human. He, uh, multiple times told the analysts they were underestimating the impact that robo taxis are going to have. And his primary rationale was just to restate it, that a normal car owned by a individual might have a utilization of 1x and when you turn into a robo taxi it could be used four to five potentially 10 times more uh, in terms of its hours per day being driven versus parked and so the economic value of that asset goes up five ten times potentially and so the uh, cost per minute per hour of usage uh, would go down uh, commensurately. And thus, Tesla, by owning a fleet or offering this fleet capacity to their customers, increases the value of all the Teslas out there, uh, potentially by 10x. And so people are massively underestimating the value of the robotaxi, both from the asset value that Tesla has created, as well as like if a 10-mile ride only costs you $2, people won't take the bus. People won't take taxis. Um, it will just massively increase the usage of Teslas and the demand for Tesla's vehicles, Tesla miles, which is good for uh, Tesla in terms of accelerating the number of like uh, sustainable miles that are driven, but also the demand for their vehicles and the value of their vehicles. So he was basically just like really frustrated that people weren't getting how important the robotaxi will be and that he seemed more confident about it. He hasn't really talked about robotaxi that much since the uh, sort of discussion of that two years ago. <laughs> but this, this quarter he talked about it a lot and he feels confident that they will get to um, human level, surpass human level safety by the end of this year. He seems quite confident about that. I, I still am very dubious of when regulators will allow a robotaxi, um, but... I don't think it's a decade. I mean, Cruise just this week or two weeks ago has started offering fully driverless rides to a select group of folks in uh, public uh, in San Francisco. Uh, Waymo has been doing this for nearly a year, maybe more than a year in, in uh, Chandler, Arizona. So it is technically possible, depending on your technical approach, um, in limited capacities. So it's not a if, it's a when, but there's still the regulatory burden for Tesla and certainly where they'd be able to offer it. Um, I don't think everywhere is ready for it, even if Tesla were ready. So that, that's my, that's my like hedge. I, I'm just not right. sure when that will really be possible, but he seems quite confident and I've, you know, used the beta and we maybe should do a separate episode on it, but it's good, but not great. And it still doesn't do some pretty basic things for me on my routes. Um, like, turning right at a stop sign onto a 50 mile an hour road. It just won't do it. Um, it won't cross over, take a left crossing a train track, um, divider on this like road that 
It's like these things that are somewhat unusual, definitely not very common in Palo Alto, but are common where I live now. Um, it just doesn't do them. And so interventions per mile for me can be as much as like five interventions per mile in, the, in town and none when it's just driving on regular, you know, two by two roads. So it's, it's a mixed bag, I would say for me, but still like impressive. Um, but, but nowhere close to fall asleep, even for the beta <laughs> for me, like nowhere close. All right. Well, we'll need to dig into that deeper later. Um, I, I remain skeptical of not necessarily the automation aspect, but the human psychology aspect of people lending out their $50,000 vehicles. But, um, right. I've, I've mentioned that in the past. <laughs> we'll see. I mean, I guess I, I guess we'll just have to run that experiment and see how it comes out. Um, so yeah, okay. Tabling the, the beta self-driving feedback for now. Um, let's move on to, uh, to the grading. What, uh, I have a sense uh, what you're going to go with here, but uh, how would how would you grade Q4 2021 for uh, Tesla? I would say a full A. Oh, I thought you were going to go with A plus. I would. I was thinking A plus, but the reason is great inflation. Uh, well, no, it's that there. I wish. I wish the. Uh, supply chain issues didn't exist, and we really could have seen what their total like all-out capacity could have been mm. and like production could have been but the fact that they had this sort of artificial hamper on it makes me feel like well any mistakes any issues were kind of the ceiling was already capped and so you don't really get to see the full potential so i'm reserving my a plus for a like no handicap quarter oh, so where we can really a, see. You've got more of a multiverse thing here. You're going, you're grading them against Tesla in a universe where there was yes. no COVID-19 versus if there were no COVID-19. Yeah. How well they did. Would they have achieved an A plus yeah. quality execution or would they have achieved the same results? Uh, so professor, and professor Caleb's not grading on a curve here. Not taking I'm, pre- I'm grading on a multiverse. Yeah. <laughs> all right. I've, I've kind of lost the plot here. All right. So we'll give it an A. That's all right. That's, that's still pretty good. I think that's one of the highest grades I've ever given. I feel like there was an A plus at some point. Oh boy. I got to go back and check that. I'll have to check. Uh, yeah. It might've been one of the quarters where people thought they were going bankrupt. <laughs> we have to be more specific. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Anyways, Mike, where can people find us online and tell us what they thought about this episode, what they thought of Tesla's quarter, and what they think of the Tesla bot. Yeah, send your letter grades, too. Uh, let us know. Best way is always to tweet at us. Uh, we are at the Tesla show on uh, Twitter.com, no longer run by at Jack. Uh, we are also on Reddit at r slash the Tesla show. And we have our own little website on the World Wide Web. If you want to avoid the socials, uh, we are at theteslashow.com, and you can... Uh, peruse our archive, uh, review Caleb's letter grades, and uh, I think you can even leave comments there as well. That's true. All right. All right. Well, I'll talk to you next time, Mike. Have a good one. All right. Bye, Caleb. Bye, Mike.